Hello and welcome to Mountain Meister. This is the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm your host, Ben Shank, and today we're exploring the mind of this guy. I've had some pretty close calls. I've been in a couple of situations where I was crying like a small child because I saw the Grim Reaper staring at me that day. That's Mike Leibecki. He's a climber and an explorer. And while many of us find enjoyment out of those things by doing them with other people, Mike normally does them alone, solo, goes to these high, cold, and dangerous places by himself. Now, before we pick things up with Mike, you should know that getting people like this on the show takes a lot of time and effort. If you appreciate the podcast, the conversations that we have on this show, I would love it if you would show your support and go to our support page, mtnmeister.com slash support. There are different styles of donations and support that you can do to help us and help keep this podcast going. So thank you for that, and thank you for those of you who have helped out so far, although, to be honest, there definitely could be more. All right, on to Mike. Mike has received a long list of grants and awards for both his climbing and also his fathering, winning Father of the Year multiple times, I read, Mike. Father of the Year, how does one win that award? You know, I'm pretty fortunate in that you know, when I'm not traveling, um, I'm a stay-at-home dad, and you know, I work from my home, and so I do just do a lot of volunteering at her school. I have since, gosh, for six years now, since she's been in kindergarten, and I just love being a father. So, you know, it's just a natural thing to go down and volunteer at school, and I love it. You know, and so I, it was just so, something that happened organically. Yeah, that's neat. How how old is Liliana? Yeah, Liliana. She just turned twelve. And um, kind of a cool thing is she just completed her sixth continent, which is kind of cool. Wow. She's sort of on this, uh, you know, she's kind of grown up, um, you know, thinking that this whole lifestyle I have is, is kind of normal. But as she's gotten older, she's realizing, wow, it's not too normal. But uh, she's gotten the travel bug and she's getting after it. So I'm really proud of her. Very neat. Are you afraid that in a few years she's not going to, or she's maybe she's going to be embarrassed by dad as a lot of kids do? <laughs> well, she already is. And I think, uh, <laughs> you know, parents embarrass their kids and that's just part of the deal. But um, she's just an awesome kid. And, and, and uh, you know, we have a lot of fun traveling and She's an athlete and just, you know, I'm, I'm a proud dad, like any parent would understand. I just couldn't be more proud, prouder than my daughter, you know. So it's always interesting to hear how people grow up, how they become the person who they are in, in this domain, this adventure domain. It really is weird. Uh, so your daughter, we'll see what the future has in store for her. But what about you? How, how did you get to where you are today? Where was the influence? You know, it, it really all began with my grandfather. His name was Harold. And he lived in North Dakota. And when he was 14 years old, he saw a photo of Yosemite National Park. And this was in the 1930s. So he's one of 14 brothers and sisters, you know, working on a farm in North Dakota, not going to school, just working to eat and live. And decides he's going to run away from home and go to Yosemite. So he runs, he, you know, hitchhikes and takes trains across the country. He gets to Yosemite National Park gets uh, jobs in the park, taking care of the park, forest service, et cetera, for several years. Again, he's 14 years old and he does this. And so 
anyways, long story short, he ends up moving near Yosemite where I'm from, which is Clovis, California, Fresno, California. He moves there because of Yosemite, which is why I was born near Yosemite National Park. And of course, Yosemite is, you know, the center of the universe for climbing, blah, blah, blah. You know, so without my grandfather, you know, running away to Yosemite, I would have never ended up there. And and even another cool um, part of that is his wife, my grandmother, Bertha. So we got Harold and Bertha, classic grandparent names. Um, (laughs) You know, I dropped, so my first year of college, I dropped out of college to move to Yosemite and climb full time. And, you know, I had some tough times, you know, it was a big decision. My family wasn't very supportive. And my grandmother, Bertha, you know, I went over there and said, you know, all I think about is climbing every single day. And she just poured a couple glasses of whiskey and got really fired up and just, God damn it, Mike, you need to go climb and who cares about college and you need to pursue your passion. And she explained to me that, you know, her and Harold, you know, and their families, they grew up on these farms and, you know, they had to work and they didn't have a lot of opportunities to pursue their own passions. And so I felt like, gosh, you know, I'm I'm sort of following these dreams and and staying true to my heart for my grandparents. And it was, it's just a really special thing to share because, it's very genuine to me and, you know, I was really close with them and, and uh, their inspirations really, I, I think really uh, brought me into the lifestyle. Yeah. It's amazing to think uh, you just go back to like that one point, that one move to go to Yosemite from your grandfather's part has created a, basically you and both and your daughter um, yeah. uh, lives that you most likely wouldn't have had. Yeah. And, and I'm sure there's, you know, any family history for right. You know, it's that great connections, but I, I just love it because, you know, he went solo. It was like he went on a solo expedition at 14 to Yosemite. And at that time, you know, there was, there was no information about anything. He just went, you know, he saw probably a, a photo for who knows where. And in 1936 at 14 years old said, I'm out of here. I'm going to Yosemite. And that's, that's really inspiring to me. So it all looks great. I mean, honestly, we, we have a lot of climbers on the show who, don't have responsibilities of parenthood yet, uh, and they're able to commit the time. But you seem to be able to balance the two. You know, you're going to all these incredible places around the globe. Um, you also have these responsibilities with a, a daughter, and then also all of these animals. How how do you balance it? Well, you know, that's a that's a great topic, and you know, I the first word that comes to mind is appreciation, and that appreciation is for all of the people that make it possible. Hmm. And, you know, the, the number one person is Lily's mother. And, you know, without her and her support, I couldn't do all of this. So, you know, Lily's healthy and happy and taken care of when I'm gone. So, you know, it comes down to her mom is, you know, my hero. And she's the one who makes it possible when I'm gone. So it's a huge shout out to her, uh, first and foremost. But then, you know, beyond that, you know, um, her family, and then even beyond that, you know, all of the companies that I work with, all the supporters, reciprocal relationships, um, you know, they're huge. I mean, I could go down a list, but, you know, Mountain Hardware and Cliff Bar and Black Diamond. And, you know, this is very genuine. I mean, without all of these people that I work with, I couldn't do any of it. I have no trust fund. I've got as much or more debt than anyone else. And so really it comes down to appreciation of everyone involved. You know, when I'm standing on a summit, I feel like all of those people are there with me and really just reiteration on the, the appreciation factor of, of everyone that makes it possible. I mean, even down to all of my friends that take care of all of my animals when I'm gone, it's a huge uh, sort of tribe that makes this happen. 
Huh, very interesting to hear. On the sponsorship, you would think that you want something in return, right? That's why they're helping you out. So as a, a, an athlete for these companies, what do you offer them in return? Well, first and foremost, you know, it's not a, just a business and a number and a kind of thing. You know, we're friends and family. I mean, most of the companies I've worked with have been over, for over 15 years. And so these are friends and families. We've grown together. We have fun together. It's all about creating joy and what we all love to do and getting out in nature and the wild. That's first and foremost. But when it comes down to it, you're right. It's reciprocal. And, you know, for example, testing product, making the best product, safer, lighter, um, you know, marketing needs, you know, marketing is what makes the world go round. So, you know, being able to share genuine stories from these trips and test the product and show the product and get people fired up to, you know, to purchase this product is important. I mean, we all have to have this amazing gear or we can't do these adventures. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what it really is comes down to without the adventure community and camaraderie, we do nothing. Nobody goes out and does these adventures. And you can look at it in hundreds of different ways of how it's important to keep that circle round. But um, it really does come down to joy and the relationships and that we're all just trying to have fun and get out in the wild, protect the planet, inspire people to protect the planet, and just you know keep on moving forward at that. Yeah. You talk about the community. I think that is something that's very unique to this industry. Absolutely. I mean, even, you know, in tough times with the economy, the outdoor industry stayed really strong. And I think it's because, you know, going into the wild, going into nature is a huge, is such a huge part of our life. It's so important. You know, it's like eating and sleeping and drinking water. I mean, going out in nature is essential, in my opinion. And I think everyone gets that. So again, I said it all sounds great. What's the not so glamorous part about what you do? You know, I'd say there's, there's not much that's not something that creates joy. But, you know, anything worth doing, there's compromise and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely the hardest part and maybe the only difficult part about going on these expeditions is missing my daughter. I mean, that's – and that's a two-way street. You know, she also has missed her father. And But, you know, you know on that note, as a dad, you know, sharing examples, teaching your daughter different lessons of life – I also want her to know that, hey, you know what? Anything worth doing does have that compromise and sacrifice. It's not always just going to be great, joy, fun. There's going to be tough times too, and that's just part of the deal. But gosh, man, I feel very fortunate uh, for the things I get to do, and it's not often that you'll find me without joy. And I look at that two different ways to go under that. So, you know, I'm an utter optimist. I sort of drive people nuts with how optimism I am. <laughs> but, it's, but I see it two ways. And this is on expeditions or everyday life. There's two different experiences that you have. And one is joy. So you have joy, you know, sweetness of life. Mm -hmm. The other one is pre-joy. So if you're having a tough day, if it's 100 mile an hour winds or you're freezing or whatever's happening, that's called Mm pre-joy. But if you think about it, you always have the word joy in your life. So whether it's pre-joy or joy, you know, you always have joy. And so that's the way I see it, you know. That's a very optimistic way of looking at it. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> to be completely realistic, mm-hmm. you know, again, I drive people nuts with that sometimes, but, you know, if somebody's hurt or sick or there's a death, I mean, or there's tragedy, you know, like in Nepal or, you know, obviously that's not pre-joy. That, those are tough times. Those are real human situations. Those are really emotional. And, um, you know, I don't want to sound like I, 
I'm not human. Right. And so, you know, I understand there are some real serious things that really make a difference. But aside from the tragedies, aside from things that are really powerful emotionally, pre-joy and joy defines the way I, I look at it. Yeah. Has it ever not been worth it to you or has there ever been a time where you thought that all of this wasn't worth it because of the not so glamorous or the downside of missing your daughter has there ever been a time like that no and you know it comes back to having the great support of her mother and family and friends and the people i work with um you know it's i there's never been any regrets by any means there's never been a moment where i questioned it for a second i mean it's um I'm really happy with the choices I've made and and honestly because of my daughter you know she inspires me to inspire her to go bigger stronger faster and do more because I want to inspire her to pursue her passion no matter what that is so it's yeah it's even more intense now as a father yeah interesting so going on to the climbing I, I saw a hundred expeditions by a hundred years old that's a goal of yours yeah, you know, it just kind of it just kind of came about organically, and you know, I've always been one to think. Okay, I've always set goals for myself. It hasn't just been random. I'm like, okay, here's my goals for the next year or two or three or four years. And you know, a few years ago, I'm like, gosh, you know, I love this lifestyle. I can't get enough of it. I call it a healthy addiction, definitely an obsession. But you know, that goal of a hundred expeditions by a hundred years old. I just like how that sounds and it works for me. <laughs> right. And I have a lot of trips that I want to do. I mean, I've got 23 more expeditions planned right now. And I just think it's a great goal. And I, and I, I think setting goals for yourself is really important because time is moving. Time is constant. Before you know it, you're not going to have that time to do these anymore. And so I'm, I'm pretty fired up to get after it. And gosh, I, you know, it has a lot to do with travel, culture, flora, fauna, etc., but I mean, I, there's this great quote. I love telling this to my daughter is that, uh, you know, don't tell me, you know, how educated you are. Tell me how much you've traveled. And I really love that. And it, and so that's just something, you know, even talking to you here, it, I, I think travel is so important, whether it's an expedition or whatever you do, it's, it's a big deal. And I, I set those goals at hundred expeditions by hundred years old for me, but also in a way to kind of inspire my daughter to set goals for herself. We did a whole goals episode at the beginning of 2015, setting goals for the year. There's data out there that proves that setting goals helps you achieve more than mm -hmm. not setting goals. Sure. Um, well, so, like, definitely can't hurt. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. the downside is very minimal. <laughs> Unless, I guess, the opportunity cost of, that t of the time you spend toward that goal could be used to something else. But I guess that's another topic. Yeah, that's debatable, I guess. Right? Um, so what classifies an expedition to you? I feel like that's a pretty loose term. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I've talked about that in the past. And I think um, there that's a long subject for me because, mm -hmm. you know, I consider myself um, a modern-day explorer and expedition specialist. You know, I mean, I've been uh, sort of given honorary PhDs in expedition exploration. And, you know, I'm, I, you know it's a big deal to say, hey, I'm an explorer. I'm a modern-day explorer. That's That's a big statement to me when I hear people talk about that. I'm like, hey, oh, cool. You know, we have something in common. What do you do? And, and it really has a lot to do with actual exploration and, you know, actually touch, taste, smell, see, hear, feel, you know, shit, pee, live in that place, exploring that place. But I guess I'm getting off on a tangent, but you asked about, are you these know, Are these places that nobody has ever been before? 
most was that, of the, was that what you mean by the, the, yeah mm-hmm. so most of the places i'm going to are untouched definitely unclimbed and for the most part unexplored maybe there's you know local uh, tribes or nomadic cultures that have been there but there are places i mean gosh i've got a couple trips coming up where there is no proof that anyone's been there ever and most of the trips that's that's the drive of the exploration is hey i want to go out there and see if if there is evidence of anyone that's been there but let me get back to your question you asked what defines um i believe you asked what defines an expedition is right. that correct mm-hmm. so there's a, a few um details and one is um mystery if there is no mystery there's no adventure mystery defines adventure for me and but an expedition that's part of an expedition but I think one of the main things for an expedition is self-reliance, that you're in a position that you have to rely on yourself. You have to save yourself and you have to survive on your own, whether it's for two weeks or five months. It's, uh, it's absolute self-reliance and in a remote place. And that, that's different for different people, but that's one of the key ingredients right there is, um, is self-reliance. And of course it goes on to, um, you know, preparation and what, it, you know, what it takes for that self-reliance and, you know, remote and exotic and untouched. But but the self-reliance is very important. Yeah. So you say self-reliance here. I feel like you're relying on a lot of other things, though. You're relying, obviously, on your gear. And then you said before, you're also relying on all these people at home who help make this happen. Sure. Sure. Well, and that's a given. So, if you look at it in a mathematical equation, all right, so you have constants and variables. Your constants, for the most part, is your gear. You've tested your gear. You've looked at your tents. You've tested your stoves. You've got everything set up at home. Everything's taken care of, your house, your bills, your animals. Um, you know, all that stuff's, you know, part of the deal for an expedition. You have to get everything prepared to be okay at home. Okay, um, my daughter's taken care of. Her mom is just crushing it once again. She's you know, my superhero for making sure everything's stable with her and she's healthy and happy. Okay. But then you're on the expedition. Then you're out there. And that's when those variables and, and constants really come into play on the expedition. So, yeah, there's the gear. Well, I've tested my gear. I know my gear. I've, it, that's tried and true. There's no questions there. My stoves will not fail. Nothing. That's not going to fail. That's mathematical to me. Self-reliance in the field is what it comes down to. So, if I'm in Queen Maudland, Antarctica, a place where you can actually say rescue is almost impossible because there's so much wind and so many things going on, you got a, a bone sticking out of your leg. Well, you can't just get a rescue. Maybe within a week if you're lucky. You know, if your appendix bursts, maybe within a few days or week if the weather's good. You're 100% on your own out there, and that you know, doesn't have to do with anything else except the fact that you're in a remote place and it requires self-reliance. So if you do break that arm or leg or something happens or you do get hit by the storm of the century, you've got to be prepared for it. Yeah. You're listening to Mountain Meister and this is our conversation with explorer and climber Mike Leibecki. To see Mike's Meister profile page with highlights and pictures from this episode, go to our website, mtnmeister.com. And if you want more of the Meisters, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Mountain Meister, spelled out. All right, back to Mike. 
Has there ever been anything that happened to you on one of these expeditions, uh, specifically a solo expedition, that you've never told anybody about? Maybe you're embarrassed by it or uh, you just have never, I guess, never told anybody because you're alone, right? There's there's some things that have happened that I'm not embarrassed about because I think these experiences are very human and very real. And it's actually fun to share these things. And they are, some of them are humbling. I don't know if embarrassing is the word, but you know, you mentioned the solo expeditions. Well, if you think about self-reliance in terms of solo compared to partners, if I'm out in a remote place climbing, let's say it's in Greenland somewhere and I'm climbing with a partner or two and we're up 2000 feet on a wall, you get some crazy rock fall and let's say your arm is broken. If you're solo, that could be your life. You may not be able to get down by yourself. So if you're with partners, no doubt about it, you're going to be able to deal with it and get down because you have the help. So that solo mentality, that solo expedition, the solo you know mathematical equation is much different. That's huge, hundred percent self reliance. I mean, as you know, to compare it with with partners or not. Mm-hmm. That's a that's an intense situation because you know a lot of the trips I do are solo, and that really is the definition of utter solitude and absolute self reliance. And so, um, yeah, and it's why I go. I mean, that's you know definitely why I go on the solo trips is the ultimate challenge, and it's very personal, and it's um, it's just something that is really important to me. Yeah. So that marginal reward that you're receiving is is worth it for that marginal increase in risk. Well, I don't know if I'd use the term marginal hmm. because, you know, for me, it's an absolute passion and joy and organic enthusiasm going out on these expeditions, solo or with partners. And so the reward is is the time of now and living this reality. And, you I, know, I guess what I meant by that is that there is an increase in risk when you go on a solo expedition, right? So ideally, you would get compensated by some sort of additional reward, by oh, yeah. Undertaking. yeah, so yeah, in that that explains a little bit better. So, mm-hmm. absolutely, the solo trips, the challenge, that ultimate challenge of being there alone, and the reward of succeeding on that goal is incredible. And it's that is part of the addiction, the healthy addiction. Mm-hmm. It's just an incredible. And I've you know there have been many solo trips where I have been denied. I've had to leave. I've I've basically bailed on the climb and, and turned around because I felt it was too dangerous. Um, and still that's satisfying and gratifying. I mean, those actually failures are some of the most wonderful experiences because you don't choose them. They just happen. You kn- and that's getting back to the mystery. You just never know if you're going to make it or not. And, it, you know, this is kind of interesting. I've heard a lot of people say, well, the goal is to come home alive. That's a given. I mean, that's, that's an absolute given. Yeah, you're going to come home alive. That's not the goal. The goal is to reach your goal to, you know, make that first ascent or get to that summit, the given is coming home alive always. Hmm. I believe what I do is 100% mathematically safe. What goes with that is you just can't make a mistake because that mistake, everything's 100% safe, mathematically safe, until you make a mistake. Human error, that's what will kill you or, or really make things go awry. So I, I don't know if, I mean, you've been here. I haven't been there, but... There's. It seems like there's so much objective risk. That's what we hear about a lot of these guides talking about. You know, you eliminate all the subjective risk that you can, but there's still always going to be objective risk that you can't control. Can't that kill you? It can kill you. And here's the here's the thing. Here's the tough part of the equation: is 
trying to define the line between dangerous and too dangerous. So that's, that's really one of the biggest challenges is, okay, that's why I've backed off of certain climbs. That's why I haven't stepped into an area where I thought, hey, I think that it's too dangerous for avalanches. Or, you know, these, there's too many crevasses. I can't make a good anchor and be solo here and cross these, you know, this glacier with all the crevasses. So there's that, that mystery or that variable of, in, in that equation of defining that line yeah. of dangerous and too dangerous. And, you know, this is, this is my opinion. This is what I believe when I say it's a hundred percent mathematically safe. I have to believe it. I do believe it. And it comes from all of the trips and everything I've done and the choices that I've made. Now I will say I've had some pretty close calls. I've been in a couple of situations where I was crying like a small child because I saw the grim reaper staring at me that day and very, very close calls and you know as a father and a pursuer of passion and you know I that was those were tough times but I am still sitting here and so I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with my beliefs and hope for the best yeah it's a great subject because I like talking about this stuff it's a great debate because what it all what it does as well is it it's another conversation that it brings the awareness of what myself and so many other people are doing out in remote wild and, you know, climbing, adventure, any kind of different stuff like that. It's a great conversation to have because it brings out awareness of how to be safer and ultimately, you know, come home alive. Right. So, yeah, that's kind of, I mean, that's what I try to do with the podcast because even, you know, researching you before this before this episode, I, I read these men's journal articles or even National Geographic and, like, you know, they take three minutes to read and it feels like they don't cover enough and i read these like excerpts from the article one was uh let me see if i can find it um i I guess they just they just like always talk about what happens and like what is done but not too much reasoning sure sure yeah so uh, here's something else that i've noticed in these articles in particular and I, i want you to address this um it just seems like there's a little bit of hypocrisy around the gear because we talk about suffering and you know it's great you step outside of your comfort zone blah 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 blah. um but then the next thing we know we talk about all of the gear that you use and how that's used to reduce suffering and Uh it just like where's the limit i guess well i'm not sure if i explained that well yeah so um i mean in terms of what i took from that in terms of gear i mean it allows you to be it allows you to suffer to a certain point and still not freeze to death or just, you know, not die basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if it's a, a big wall, like um, you mentioned National Geographic, if it was, you know, this big wall I was climbing with Freddie Wilkinson and Corey Richards and Keith Ledzinski, um, this has come up on that subject a lot that, you know, it's out there and you're climbing in minus 20, right? Mm-hmm. And you're showing photos and, you know, let's say I'm presenting about that trip from the, the Nat Geo um, expedition. And, you know, unless you're there, you can't really experience how cold it is, but it's important to, to remember that you're, you're freezing. You're just not too, you're, you have, you have to define, you, you can be cold and you can survive and you can function and you can climb. And then what happens is you have to define, um, or you have to predict how cold it's getting. You have to predict, you know, you have to not get hypothermic. You have to say, okay, it's getting too cold. And you can only get that from experience from, you know, being in a position where you've suffered really hard or almost froze to death before. Say, hey guys, it's getting too cold. 
um, I can't even open a carabiner with two hands. <laughs> and you, I can't even put myself on repel. You got to define before that happens. Like, hey, I can barely move my hand. You know, it's so it's it's being prepared and it's being aware and it's trying to predict before that situation happens. But I know I'm kind of going off, but you mentioned the gear. And when you say that, it reminds me of being in the cold because mm-hmm. gear is most essential, at least as far as, you know, clothing, et cetera, in the cold. Yeah. Right. Um, and I've been frozen so many times that that's what it makes me think of when you mention gear. Well, that's when it's most important. If you think about it in terms of ropes, carabiners, you know, cams, all the equipment we use for climbing, um, you know, that stuff, that's where I get back to 100% mathematically safe. Mm-hmm. If you're using that equipment correctly, you're not going to die. You might get hurt, but you're not going to die. And that's what I mean by 100% mathematically safe is that it's not that you won't get hurt or get beat up or whatever, but you'll live if you use that stuff correctly. You know, and so the gear really is, you know, if you think about it, without all the gear, we do nothing. And that's what I meant by without the adventure community and camaraderie, we don't do anything. And part of that is the gear manufacturers. And so anyways, that gets off onto another subject. Well, well. it it actually is a perfect segue to our gear recommendation part of the show, Mike. So I would love if you could recommend a few crucial pieces of gear. Ideally, they're, you know, maybe something that our listeners haven't heard of before or just something you're ultra passionate about. That's a, that's a great, I like to talk about this. This is great. So I've got a couple things that come to mind. Mm -hmm. And the first thing is, um, the, I think the most important gear that that I know for me, the most important gear I bring on an expedition are sentimental things, mm-hmm. things that are very um, that remind me of home, that take me, that remind me of people that I care about, that they're like they're with me. So, for example, I have two necklaces on, and one of them I've had on literally for twenty plus years. I've never taken it off once, and it's a medallion of Saint Michael that my mother gave me. And it's on my neck with four millimeter cord. You know, it'll never break, you know, double fisherman's knot. And and it's on. And it's, my mom said, hey, you know what? If you take these on, if you take this on your adventures, I'm going to always be with you. And you're always going to come home alive. And I truly believe in that. And, you know, it's, it's a sentimental, powerful, spiritual thing with my mother that she gave me that. And that gear, that being on my neck, I think about that when I'm solo up on a wall. Or I'm taking the 80 mile an hour winds. Or I've got... You know, I wake up with scorpions on me or whatever is, you know, or the rock fall. Like I I remember this necklace and I feel this necklace that my mother gave me. And I think that's really powerful. I know it's powerful for me, but I think the sentimental stuff's important. I mean, my other necklace is a, a little medallion of a girl and it's my daughter. And I've had that on for over 10 years and I've never taken it off. And so she's always with me. And having that, you know, knowing that you have your loved ones and family with you, is very powerful and very important to me. That is a great gear recommendation. Never yeah. heard that before. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, for me, it, it's 100% like needed. Like if, if that necklace broke out there, I'd probably be like, okay, what's going on? The universe is, you know, I get all in, because when I'm out there, you know, things are so powerful and, you know, I get really spiritual and really intense. You know, I even, when I'm solo, I've got a couple other partners with me and that's, you know, me, myself, and I. And, you know, this, I know that sounds kind of weird, but I have to double and tri- triple check myself out there. And that's just me. I can only do that. Mm-hmm. So I sort of have these other personalities that come out. But anyways, that's another story. Um, I think, though, to answer your question gear-wise, as far as you know, answering it like as mm-hmm. actual gear product that goes 
this, and you know, I was actually thinking about it kind of in the back of my mind when you mentioned it. So, um, and this is, again, this is very authentic. So Mountain Hardware, you know, I've been with these guys for a long time. And now they're using uh, what's called OutDry. And I don't know if, if you've heard of this, but this has changed my world on expeditions. And so this OutDry is basically keeps products waterproof and does not, you, even if, if it gets wet, it won't let the products soak up water. And it's an actual layer system. So in backpacks and shoes and other things, this, this OutDry technology and this is a big deal for me to talk about this because it's not just a gear plug. I mean, this is something that's changed. My Everything stays dry. And it's just kind of like, wow, even, it, you know, it doesn't even permeate. And so there there you go for a gear piece of gear. It, anything without dry in it out is dry. amazing. Yeah. For the listeners, check out OutDry on Mike's Meister profile page on our website, Mike, one last question for you, and that is, who would you like to hear as the next person on the show? You know, uh, there's a few people that come to mind, but um, there's a good friend of mine named Angie Payne, mm-hmm. and uh, she's a pretty special woman, and she's done some really cool stuff, and I've seen her break through some interesting walls, both uh, literally and metaphorically, <laughs> and she's, um, you know a world-class boulder and climber. And, um, I think she'd be great to talk to. And, um, yeah, she's this pretty special woman. Keep an ear out for Angie Payne on a future episode of Mountain Meister. Highlights of today's episode at our website, mtnmeister.com on Mike's Meister profile page. We also have a discussion forum going on at the bottom. So if you have any comments on what we had to say today, agree, disagree, whatever, use that discussion forum. Also, if you'd like to hear more from Mike and the other Mountain Meisters, you can subscribe to the Play Director package on our website. This gives you the ability to ask the Meisters your own questions. We'll let you know when we record with them, you get to submit your questions. Mike Lebecki, wonderful having you on Mountain Meister today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Hey, man, it was a pleasure, and uh, I really appreciate you having me on the show. Mike Lebecki, climber, explorer, father, cool guy. Hope you enjoyed that throwback episode with Mike. We released that episode a few months ago, but it was just too good not to play it again. New episodes of Mountain Meister coming soon, but you know what helps us release new episodes? When we get support from our fantastic Meister fans. If you'd like to support us, go to our support page, mtnmeister.com slash support. Thank you for that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mountain Meister, and I hope you enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do while you listen to it. Until next time, I'm your host. Ben Shank.